for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're there, y'all. Y'all been prepping, working, and dreaming for almost a year now. And not three to four hundred yards off, you've gotten exactly what you've been dreaming of. A bull bugles. Yep, that's a bull, all right. But what now? Do I set up and start calling? Where do I set up? What should my partner do? Do I bugle back? What kind of bugle do I use? Do I cow call? Do we get after it and go straight for it? Do we wait and listen and see what he does? Y'all, it's this exact moment that's going to make all the difference for you. And even though there's no surefire answer for all the possible scenarios that you're going to face, there is a process that you can go through to help make the best decisions for a shot opportunity. So on today's show, your elk coaches and I are going to help you with that process, as well as prepare you for what we call hump day. Those topics plus our Elk Bros shout-outs, and we answer some more of our viewers' questions tonight. So, my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the show. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And for those blue collar hunters out there following our show, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas coming to you from Spring, Texas, and joining me from New Mexico is your elk hunting coaches. That's Leroy Chav Chavez and Joe Gillia. <laughs> Welcome back, Chav. Uh, you, missed, 
Glad to be back. Best on Ornelas Don Leash, though, brother. It was special. <laughs> he was vacationing, man. And he's always on vacation, Joe. Yeah. Come on now. He well, put I his time in. We're trying to get there. <laughs> well, I listened to it this morning on my morning walk, so really enjoyed it. Of course, you left out a part. You know, if the bear would have come at us, tripped you, and just kept running. <laughs> oh no, man! I'm telling you that uh, unbelievable that story was. I, people, you know, my my son said, "Dad, you got to get like full camera because they got to see you throw your hands up in the air and all that." I said, "Listen, I'm gonna tell you straight up." Chad was serious about that now. So, so let me tell you um, the feedback. Uh, f- feedback so far has been overwhelming that, dude, sorry, man, you've been fired. They, they, were, people were, they were like, what the heck was that guy talking about, man? We, we wanted to hear about elk hunting. He was talking about, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, dude, well. it was awesome. Everybody is uh, – we're going to definitely, for you listeners out there, there will be more Ornellis Unleashed. You'll be hearing more stories by the crew. Uh, we've got a couple there that even some of the guys have already put in their order because <laughs> Manano yeah. remembers the one uh, just this last year, and, and we're saving it, man. But it had to do with Gilbert and a sleeping bear <laughs> so, <laughs> so okay, that's dude. all we're going to say dude murphy's law exists when i'm in the wood <laughs> all right <laughs> so yeah we're going to say that but definitely um everybody from what we're hearing out there uh you guys enjoyed that and we thought you would because you know it's something that we really yeah we really enjoy camp. it yeah yeah that's exactly. awesome well that's elk camp man we come back yep. and tell stories and have fun and try to recuperate Especially if you hunt with Mr. Jillia, you're going to have to recuperate and get you some oxygen masks out and stuff like that. Be ready yeah. for that. Hunt. I'm getting old, dude. I'm getting old. It's not yeah. that uh, We wore you down, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, first things first. Y'all know what time it is. It's shout time for the Elk Bros. Shout out. Shout out. <laughs> if you're new to the show, these are just some of the cities that uh, have our most of our listeners topping the charts this week. Yep. And um, there's going, you know, uh, I hope you see my shirt, y'all, because uh, uh, I'm trying to represent for our, for our brothers up in the north. This is the second time a Canadian province has made it on our shout outs. Uh, That's they, so awesome. they didn't top the chart this time, but man, uh, those those people up there. So I'm trying to show our Canadian brothers some love with my I got my Victoria T-shirt on. Not my Victoria's Secret t-shirt. It's Victoria Gilbert. Thank God, Joe. We didn't need all that. (laughs) So, topping the chart this week. Bonnie and Clyde had a hideout there. 60% of America's money is printed there. And Mr. Rocky Mountain High himself, John Denver, no, he's not from Colorado. He graduated from high school there. Fort Worth, Texas, leading the charts. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Fort Worth in the house, home of Billy Bob's. That's awesome. You know, and I almost put that on there, Billy Bob's, because that's one of those huge barns that they converted into a, a, a mecca. Dance hall, Worth, buddy. Right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, next shout out. Uh, this city's name translates to a place to stay forever. And their river channel between the Okanagan and and Skaha Lakes, hopefully that's pronounced right, 
hosts the province's biggest floaty party, a two to three hour drift every summer. So a big shout out to Pentacon, British Columbia. A two to three hour drift, buddy. That sounds like my kind of country, man. I mean, that's in that, uh, uh, that's like uh, for us rednecks back home, man. That That's just a, that's a party time right there. Being able to drift down the river in the summer <laughs> for two to three hours on a floaty. Yeah. That sounds like a good time. Got to be a beautiful place up there. In yeah. Oh, Columbia. I tell you what, I saw pictures. It's gorgeous. Uh-huh. And when they say a, a place to stay forever, I, I can believe it. I got some friends of mine at Bear Hunt up there every year, and they say it's oh, wow. just it's the mecca. I mean, you know, he, they they love it up there, and they go every year, and it's very affordable. So if you boys up there have any elk, uh, you know, give us a shout out, let us know. Uh, uh, I'd like to hear about them. Cool. Well, next up with nicknames like the Brew City and Beer Town, uh, this city's known how to party, and more than a century ago. A young apprentice here named William Harley drew up plans for an engine that could be na- mounted on a standard bicycle frame and joined, and joined forces with a childhood friend, Arthur Davidson. And the hog was born. Harley Davidson. Yes, sir. The home of Harley Davidson, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. In Milwaukee, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that? baby. Crazy. Shamil, <laughs> Schlamazel. <laughs> what is exactly that that's from laverne and shirley man go, oh, he's man. dipping down bro <laughs> do you know how hard it is to find interesting facts about a city that is named after another state <laughs> oh man yeah it's keep, hard Let yeah me tell you the other one keeps is. coming up all the time <laughs> it might be easier for people from this city to tell others where they came from if they kept one of the first names and uh, two of the original names for the city were Fairview or Hogeye. The city was rebuilt in 1868 after the town was burned down to get rid of, the, of a, a stronghold of area bushwhackers. And this city is Nevada, Missouri. Nevada, Missouri. You know, you, you can just see them kids, man. They're in college. They say, well, where are you from? I'm from Nevada. Oh, really? It's hot over there. No, no, no. Nevada, Missouri. Yeah. Are you from Missouri? <laughs> hey, you know what's what's uh what's odd in that state, and I've spent quite a bit of time there fishing and stuff. Part of the southern start says Missouri in oh, the top yeah. part says Missouri. Huh. So that's uh it's different and all of them embrace the showy <clears throat> state, right? Mm-hmm. So for mm-hmm. sure it's a beautiful one of the most beautiful places is the Ozark Mountains. Beautiful, awesome. beautiful state. If you've never been there, need to go up there and see in that part of Missouri is pretty. Last but not least, this is home <clears throat> to the Fraggle. The so I'm saying Fraggle because it's named after a raisin bagel. It looks like Fraggle, but Fraggle for the bagel. So right. <laughs> raisin bagel deep it's raisin bagel dough deep fried and rolled in cinnamon sugar. <laughs> That's what the Fraggle is, man. That's I mean, right. you said you've had one, right? I absolutely. I know yeah. exactly where it's at. Well, let's see if you've done this. And since 2005, 
little ferry doors have been popping up at the bottom of buildings in the city to welcome the city's ferry friends. So if you got a bunch of ferries up here, Joe, <laughs> if you're visiting one of the doors, be polite and leave little candies or coins for the ferries near the doors, man. This is in none other than Ann Arbor, Michigan. Oh, my aunt's going to choke me next time she sees me. Joe. She's from Ann Arbor, Michigan, lives on Packard street about five, Five minutes, about five blocks away from the big house there oh, in really? Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yes, wow. we can hear the we can hear the the band play from from uh, her house. It'll, I mean, it actually shakes the house when Gilbert. He's like George Washington. I slept <laughs> here. He slept there. He's been everywhere. And all over, Joe. God, I tell dude. you, life's taken me in some some beautiful places and some places I'll never forget. and some places you might want to forget right no doubt yeah right in a year one week there (laughs) (laughs) so here we go guys well joe uh yeah elk season's almost on us yep no chav in uh in in your intro topics today we said we're gonna talk about hump day can you tell our listeners just what we mean by hump day I'm sure, uh, sure, and I'm sure it varies from person to person. And this probably occurs around the second or third day of the hunt. I would say. Because, uh, you know, you show up, you're psyched, you're psyched to get out there in the woods and uh, just wait, can't wait to listen to that first bugle. And um, you don't get a whole lot of sleep that first night, but you get up early, early in the morning. I think our the latest we get up is probably around 4 o'clock. That, and, that's the latest. And, yeah. we've gotten, and we've gotten up pretty early. Yeah, that's the latest we get up. So, uh, you know, you're encountering, uh, you know, you're so excited to get out there that you forget that you're carrying an extra, you're carrying a backpack, you know, you're carrying a bow, you're putting in a lot of miles, you're stepping over logs and uh, downfalls, and every once in a while you'll, you'll stub your toe and it'll yank your leg in a weird direction. And, uh, and there ain't no air up there either. Yeah, yeah there's no air up there either. <laughs> So you're putting in a lot of work. Uh, and once you get back to camp uh, that first night, you, you can sleep like a baby. But again, you're sleeping on, on a different mattress. It's not the same as back, back home. You get up again at 3 o'clock, 3.30, or 4 o'clock if you're lazy, and you <laughs> repeat. So by the, third, the end of the second, possibly the end of the third day, you know, you're feeling pretty beat. Yeah. And uh, that's when uh, – the following morning, a lot of guys will say, uh, go out without me. I'll catch you later. <laughs> yeah, right, right. No kidding. But yeah. at the same time, if you just get up at the same time, one more time, uh, all those aches and pains, uh, you know, pretty much go away and your body gets acclimated to what you're doing. And, uh, you know, that's the hump day. It's just like a regular weekday. You hit that, that middle of the week and it's downhill after that if you're willing to do it one more when time. the body starts to break in man it's right just, the body just breaks into a different routine and and i thought we thought it was important to bring up hump day to those guys out there because i tell you my here's a shout out to my brother-in-law gary who came out here a couple times to hunt with us and uh gary had a little bit of trouble with his knees and you start going up and down those ridges and and pounding those knees and and just what it does to you sometimes physically if you're not ready he Man, he uh, after day two, he he honestly, you told me, he said, man, bro, I, I don't know if I can make it. 
He's mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm frigging beat up. And, you know, he, he, he came out the next day and uh, about the end of day three, you know, he, he started, like Chav said, you know, it started to come around. His body started to get used to what it was going through. So uh, understand, y'all, that, that, that that's going to happen. You know, if, if you're in you're really good shape and stuff like that. It might not, you know, you might mitigate some of that, but I mean, it happens for everybody. It, even for us. I mean, when you start carrying that bow around for, you know, miles and, mm-hmm. and eight to 12 hours out there, you know, the next day you feel it in your traps and uh, yeah. along that, along your neck, it gets real tight. Yeah. You that know? Ba- the straps on, on your backpack, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, there's a lot of little things and you're, some people, aren't used to uh, carrying binoculars and a rangefinder and a backpack and all that makes a little bit of difference. Plus your, your eating habits are different. Sure. You know, uh, you're eating at odd times yeah. and uh, sometimes you get uh, back to camp real, real late. So you're going to eat at 10 o'clock, maybe 11. Right. Yeah. <laughs> then, then hit the sack and then get up again at, at three thirty, four 4 o'clock. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, factors involved in that, but you know, once you, if you just stick to it, you're going to, you're going to break through. So, yeah, guys, so there is light at the end of the tunnel. We just want to let you know because our, our job as coaches is to make sure that you're mentally and physically ready and that we help you with your skill set. And part of that mental that you got to know is when you go in, that first day you're, not, you're going to get through it. Oh, yeah. I mean, because you're, you're just pumped to be out there and it's all good. And then, you know, you get up the next day, you start to feel a little bit of soreness here. And that third day, man, some of the things that you thought you had never felt before, you're, you're feeling it. And then, you know, things start to. Yeah, you feel uh, aches and pains in places right. you didn't. <laughs> oh, man. No. Yeah, because yeah, even our, our drives out in the morning to get to a certain location before That's we start. Workout. Yeah, it's a workout on the body. Yeah. I remember when we first uh, scouted last year, you know, we drove uh, probably Four. 45 minutes straight somewhere, yeah. and yeah. We, we just stopped, and I just jumped out of the four-wheeler, and my <laughs> right leg cramped up, <laughs> yeah. and then a second later, my left leg cramped up, and I was <laughs> in pain, let me that. tell you, mm-hmm. let yeah. me tell you. So, you know, that aspirin uh, routine comes in real handy. So. Just stay hydrated for me. Yeah, stay right. hydrated. Know that stuff's going to happen, and there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, keep persevering. Keep grinding it out. Be our grinders out there, guys. Okay. Yeah, yeah and I you mean, know what's helped me too is when I hit that hump day, it's maybe backing the throttle down a little bit, and uh-huh. you're still covering ground and stuff like that. But you, you ain't got it until you hear something. You really don't have to push that hard. You're going to keep moving. And for me, slowing down a lot of times helps me. Cause I read sign better. Mm-hmm. I don't run into stuff as quick and blow things up. I mean, right. You know, I'm generally a slow moving guy anyway, and I like to take my time methodically. And, and for me, Chad said this many times, he feels like if I can get within sight of them and I see them before they see me, they're mm-hmm. in a lot of trouble. Cause right. I can, right. I can get, I can, I feel like I can get in their kitchen, you know, without making a sound or anything, you know, but if I have to, you know, they start calling and stuff like that, it's on then brother, uh, cool. you know, and, and that hump day kind of goes away once you're in the middle of them. Sure. And I, that's the only, I, I think the thing we just wanted to make sure people understood is there might be a point where you figure this is too much for you. And the body does acclimate. It does yeah. acclimate. It takes a little bit of time, takes somewhere, but it 
it acclimates. So hang in there, keep grinding it out. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's go to our main topic today. Yep. And, uh, and what we wanted to do with our main topic is that, you know, we're getting so much from everybody that's just wanting to eat up. Um, what should I do when this happens? You yeah. know, what call should I use? Uh, mm -hmm. I'm at this time of year and, and that, and, you know, uh, what do I look for in areas? So there's so many questions out there. And I know, dudes, you, I mean, sure, you're, you're, uh, some of you are less than 30 days away. Some of you are probably 15, 16 days away, and, uh, and some of 30 days, wow. and it just depends. I mean, yeah, because some of these states start right in the middle of, of August, so they're getting ready to go here real quick. So, um, Where's that, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> it's happening, bro. Yeah, just a, a, yeah. a side note. Uh, I ran into Joe this morning when, when I was uh, walking, <laughs> and he was uh, uh, call calling and bugling, and he actually had a response. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really? Yeah, you had a so, bull yeah, bugle back. I, you know, when I'm hiking out in the morning, you know, I just—it's just a good time. I'm either listening to something or I, I just start working my calls and everything like that. So I would just yeah, 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 yeah. and all of a sudden, wow. man, from across the street, across the street, over in the river, I was like, ah. Oh. Wow. Hey there, buddy. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's elk so close to y'all's town, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> you know, we got to close the door to our room sometimes because they're screaming right here behind the house. And, oh, it's awesome, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, it, it sucks. You suck, Joe. You <laughs> suck, man. Uh, so, but the whole thing was is we know that some of you, it's like a lot of things are about what I do now. So, what we wanted to do is we wanted to give you a process and I wanted to talk about a process with everybody here. And, you know, uh, like Gilbert said in the beginning, you're out there, man, you've done all this stuff and all of a sudden, man, you got a response to your call. And the big thing it's now, it's like, what do I do now? You know, it's like, how do I process, you know, what I should do? And, and I want to tell you that there's some things First of all, that should be processed, determined, and communicated prior to that situation ever happening. Okay. First of all, if you're uh, if you're hunting, you know, early season, or if you're hunting pre-rut, or if you're hunting, you know, uh, peak rut or post-rut, you have different things that you know about the animals' behaviors, what their goals and what their priorities are. So that's something that you have to understand is that okay, if I'm on, if I'm hunting pre-rut. Okay. Then what is the situation of these animals? Well, I've got bulls that are splitting off. They're starting to think about herding up. They're still working on pecking order. So when I get a, a call back from one of those bulls, what is his mindset? Is he really <clears throat> out to start, you know, fighting right now? No, that's not what he's doing right now. You know, he's, uh, in, in fact, uh, I was listening to a buddy of mine, Michael Batiste, the other day, and he was talking about how, you know, he called to a particular bull, he got a response, right? Well, he cow called to that bull, and that bull came back, I mean, just came back gangbusters. Well, he was going to test the temperature, so he threw out a bull bugle. Well, now that bull's like, you know, all weak and everything. Mm -hmm. So basically, when that bull heard a cow, 
man, he was like man of the woods. But when he heard another bull, that is a, a, a smaller bull who's timid, who's not really looking to, he doesn't want to meet up with anybody. So should you be like Michael says, should you be using a cow call or should you be using a bull call? That tells you right there. So it's real important to know your time of year, to know that when you're in peak rut and you get a response from an animal, that's either a bull most likely looking to come in and check on, and, and he's really, he's, he's wanting to know if there's a cow in the area, wanting to scent check, you know, so you have different situations. So before your hunt, talk about and think about what is that elk's behavior going to be right now? during this time of year during my hunt. Is it going to transition? You bet. Because if you're there from September 1st to September 15th, you got bulls that are transitioning from being timid to getting closer to when that equinox is and getting a little bit more serious about pulling in some cows. You got younger bulls that are herding up cows. You got older bulls that are hanging off in the wings that are just waiting to take things over. You know, so there's a transition period happening there. So make sure that you think about that and have that in your mindset before your hunt starts because that helps you with what you're going to do when you hear that bugle. Another thing that needs to be term determined and communicated ahead of time. You know, <laughs> when Chav and I are together in the woods, you know, most of the time uh, – depending on what the situation happens, I like to go ahead and put him up and have him get a shot opportunity. If we're not in a situation like that, then we're pretty much side to side spread so that uh, we're covering downwind and I'm going to try to pull things past us by calling behind us. But we always communicate about, you know, who's going to be a shooter. He knows I'm going to be the caller. We're getting ready to hopefully change that here pretty soon. I want to see if he gets one in for me this time. Um, but uh, And then we know about general setup, placement tactics. When I tell Chav to move up, he already knows he's going to go up a certain amount of distance. He's going to go to the downwind Down side, side some, mm -hmm. and he's going to set up with something at his back. We've already communicated that. Uh, hand signals, when we're working through the woods, when we do things like, you know, I see a cow, I have vision, you know, develop your hand signals so that you guys understand those and even your sound signals so that if you are team calling and you're separated and you're the person up on the front, if you're the shooter up on the front, you should be staying silent because you don't want the bulls to peg where you're at. You want that caller behind you. That's their job to pull it by you. But what if you see that bull going further away or you think it's coming to a different area and you want to move up well if you see the situation needs to change you guys should have sound signals whether it's using cow calls we use turkey calls when we're doing it i use a crow call it's just different things that you use so that you can understand that you need to come together and move up all right so make sure you have that stuff done ahead of time make sure that um if you're by yourself, you already have those individual tactics in your mind. You know, mm -hmm. it's the same things as that team plan. It's just simplified. Now, instead okay. of throwing calls out in front, trying to pull something by somebody, you're going to be calling behind you. So these are things that you should already have in your head and already understand before that bull ever sounded off. Right. Right? Makes okay. sense. 
So now the thing is, is you understand those things. You know your time of year. You know what to expect, okay? And you're in a process, and that bull sounds off, okay? Well, your head, I, you know, for us guys that have done it, there's things that are automatically starting to click in our mind. You know, one of the first things, what's probably one of the first things you think about when you hear an elk bugle, Gilbert? How far out is he? Awesome. Yeah. You're I'm, I'm trying to figure out how far out is he. And, and, and another thing I try to figure out is I'm, I'm going to listen for another one and see if he's got, you know, a lot of them will tell you whether they got cows with them or not too, you mm-hmm. know. You might um, even hear cow calls, right? For sure. So uh-huh. I'm really listening, and I want to try to gauge what direction he was mm-hmm. in. Because in the mountains, a lot of times they can throw that bugle, and it'll sound like it's over there. And if you got a couple of guys want to say, well, he's over there, one's over there, and you're like, man, I really need to pinpoint it one more time. Pinpointing so where that animal direction. is and knowing how far he is is huge. That's yeah. something that's in your head. What's right. something else that you might be thinking about right away? Well, you want, to know, you want to know if he's uh, – if he's uh, challenging or if he's a yeah what type of bugle was it right yeah. for sure right? sure yeah so yeah, was it a little location bugle or was it right that big growl <laughs> was it an aggressive scream was yeah. it a lip ball right. was it uh was it a chuckle is it raking you oh, know yeah, those other sure. elk sounds mm-hmm. are you hearing any glunking are you hearing any growling because all of that stuff you know when you hear a location bugle that's just that's passive Right. It's, it's, it's not offensive. It's not defensive. Yeah. But you go hear that chuckle with it and glunking. He's close. Sure. He's closer. Yeah. Yeah. You hear glunking, man, you better be ready ready. because he's right on top of you. And if he's glunking, he's got cows with him and he's Mm -hmm. working it. Right. Mm -hmm. So you, you want to, you want to think about what type of bugle is it? Okay. Uh, And like you said, when you're listening, are there other animals out there? Because not necessarily does he have cows, but, are you hearing other bulls? Are there bulls that are challenging that guy? Or are they calling? They just doing location? Or are they being aggressive? Are they being defensive? Mm -hmm. Because now you might develop another story of why those bulls are in the same area. It might be something that you get to move right into the middle of. So in my mind, guys, the process, the process is I hear that bull bugle. Okay. I'm like, how far is it? Where is it? Right. I'm trying to think. What type of bugle is it? Because I, I now my brain's starting to think a little bit. I'm telling you, one of the first things that go on my mind is which way's the wind going? <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. way's the wind? Yeah, you blowing? can't forget about that. Mm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're right. Then yeah, we can make a plan. We know which way the wind's going, where our thermals are coming out of, then make a plan. You know. Yeah, and and you know while you're there, understand that. <laughs> Now, when I make a decision to move in on an animal, if you're 300, 400 yards out and I make a plan and I've got the wind, I'm going to be aggressive moving in on that animal. But just because I hear an animal bugle doesn't mean I've got to just haul on them. I can be a little patient and I can understand what the situation is. So, you know, what time of day is it? You know, if it's I'm still in the dark, well, those critters are going to kind of be staying there. You know, uh, they're, they're not necessarily moving into the trees already, moving up on the hills. I might have a little bit more time. So that's something in there. What's the terrain and cover? Is it thick? Is it going to be open? Do I have a park up ahead of me? If I do, do I want to go up on the edge of a park where 
you know, now he's going to expect to see me. You got to think about these things. These are in my head right here, you know, uh, thermals, you know, uh, if it's still dark, but what if it's not, what if it's eight o'clock going on nine o'clock and you got those thermals getting ready to change. Now you got to think about, man, if they are heading up a hill, do I go following right behind these guys? Well, if you've listened to us, we tell you never to follow up behind them when they're going up the hill. You want to gain an elevation. You want to parallel them as much as you can. You want to be on the downward side as much as you can. Okay. So that's something to think about. Um, do I move in? Do I stay put? Do I follow in shadow? Well, why would you stay put? What are the reasons a hunter might stay put? Bad wind. There you go. Yeah, sort yeah. Of yeah. Bad, bad wind. Uh, can't really figure out what location the bugle came from. Uh, if you can't figure that out and you don't, and you got a bad wind, you just need to try and wait and see if something changes. Uh, so yeah. many guys will try to <clears throat> skirt the wind and you can blow the opportunity up before you can ever get there. You know? Well, that's a, I had a guy ask a question, said, you had a bull bugle, you're moving in on that bull, you're, you're starting to close the distance and the wind changes. Do you keep going? No, 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 Hell no, you no. don't. No, you, you, you back off on, on that. And, now, understand that wind can do crazy things, too. Just sure. because the wind is blowing at your neck doesn't necessarily mean that where that animal's at that is coming at their nose. Right. We've seen some right. crazy things happen depending on where they're at. I mean, they could be a little bit Good up the and ridge. Bad. Yeah, both ways. So, <laughs> you know, but you just got to be patient about that. So there's times to move in. If, if, you, if it's dead still out there um, or even if you – Two things. If it's dead still, and man, you don't have to worry about the thermals. If you're on even level with that animal, you start moving in on that animal. Also, if you've got hard winds, right. and that hard wind is blowing in your face, and it's going to make it difficult for you to hear that animal if they move yeah. off, you've got to close that distance because you're going to lose that sound. Right. Yeah. And that wind, I tell you, if I can locate a bull, and it's blowing hard and steady. It is a perfect situation. Oh man, no doubt. No, especially spotting and stalking. Yes, it's, sir. Man, I, you know, we come from the whitetail woods down here, Joe, and <clears throat> they're one of the hardest animals in the world to stalk up on because they just have such great vision and such great hearing and great sense of nose. There's nothing weak on them. And where we hunt, it's like you know, post toasties you're walking on most of the time. Sure. So, man, you just can't, you can't fool their ears. But when you get a big wind and it's real windy, it's one of the best times to still hunt here in Texas is because you can actually get up on animals like that. You know, sure. you can actually spot and stalk. And uh, I love it. Personally, we got a big hard wind. I know where it's coming from. I know the animals don't like it and they don't like moving around in it. But if you can figure out where they are, and go to them and use the wind, and you, you've got a lot of elements that's in your favor. Yeah, a lot of them because it eliminates a couple of things. Number yeah. one, you got the wind, so the nose is eliminated. Mm -hmm. uh, everything's moving in the woods, so that helps mitigate the eyes, and you've got uh, everything shaking around there, so they're hearing everything. So yeah. it really has helped you, and, and you know, that's something to – that can happen out there and it works in your favor. Now, uh, again, so all this stuff is in our head. We've heard that bugle, right? We're trying to process how far is it? 
Where's that at? What type of bugle was that? What is the wind in my favor? Now, uh, I, I know what time of day it is. I kind of have an idea of my, my terrain, my cover in here. Uh, I'm not having to worry. The wind's working just right. Thermals are good. So now what do I do as far as calling? You know, again, because you had your situational process already predetermined for time of year, now you can kind of figure on how you should call back. Well, if that was a location bugle, and he continues to give a location bugle, do you need to even call that animal? No. You just cut the distance and move in. Mm -hmm. Get to where you can do a setup. And I always, always, and I teach my guys, when they ask me, what call should I use first? Well, I always tell them this. If you have a bull out there, do you think that bull wants to be a lover or a fighter? A lover. Okay. They always first, man, mm -hmm. always first. So I always go out with a cow call. And mm -hmm. then if I get a bull that comes back and that bull lip balls or gives a scream to try to impress that cow, that's when right there, when I hear that aggressiveness, Ooh, that's yeah. when I come right over the top of it. Yeah. I cut him off, man. Sure. And I'm like, who are you talking to my girl? Right. Right. Okay. So, again, it's a situation there. Now, if he just gives a location bugle, mm -hmm. when I give that cow call, then, hmm, now I start to think, well, what's his temperature? Right mm -hmm. now, he hasn't shown me anything. So, I might even now do introduce a bull just with some sounds, and that sound doesn't even have to be a bugle. I might do a little chuckle. I might do a, a raking of a tree. And now, if he hears that and I'm within a certain range, then again, I'm starting to take his temperature on how he reacts. I always let the bull that I'm working with determine what I'm going to do. And if I, if I give a location bugle back to him and he gets real timid or he shuts up, all right, there's two things that happen. If he is shut up, he's either coming in or he's, he's like, eh, mm -hmm. eh, you know. So that's a point where I might go silent for a little bit and then give that cow call, reintroduce that back again and see if he wants to answer that. If he answers, he's in the same place and he was silent. I know he don't want to hear no bull. Mm -hmm. he, he don't want nothing to do with the bull because he shut up. Yeah. You know, Joe, for me, one of them, and it's real simple call. I've heard you do it several times, but for me, when one wants to be quiet, a lot of times I can get him to open back up. If I just go, just like that. I mean, it's just a, and you just right. roll it out, man, and it's real subtle. But you use your your your, your bugle tube, and you mm -hmm. just, man, I'm telling you, one will go, hey, what was that? One more time, right? and let you know, yeah. hey, man, I am still here. Right? And and you know that that's especially going to be one of those because when you make that noise right there like that those low gutturals is generally when you have a cow in the area so mm -hmm. you know when they hear stuff like that and you guys listen to our other things on some of our calls and why we do it and if there's certain things that are, or sequences or situations you want to hear more about how we respond with calls send us those questions man and and we'll tell you exactly how we respond to it but you know, all of these things are working in, in our head. That's our process. Number one, which direction he is, how far. 
Again, that can be a little tricky, whether it's bugling away from you or bugling at you. That's why right? it's so good to hunt in pairs, Joe. You yeah. know, if you got a partner to ride the river with you, man, it just really – I kind of used to think it was better one-on-one, but, man, two-on-one is even better. I mean, you just get a sense of direction and, every yeah, you got a little more scent in the woods, but if you're managing that, I just think, man, your chances of opportunity go up instead of down. You know, so for those people out there that don't know, um, from age 20 until about age, I don't know, 45, I could hear a bugle before anybody. I mean, no matter how far I could pinpoint stuff, but because of uh, shooting weapons at such an early age without protection and stuff, I started to lose my hearing. I actually wear hearing aids now and uh so for me it's almost a necessity to be with somebody now once i get to a certain point i'm hearing those animals not not going to matter but when it gets far off so uh it's one of those things yeah you can still hear that high pitch yeah yeah Yeah. and and i hear some tones a little different than what everybody else does but you know it's like i i've always teach everybody i i might have I can either let that be a handicap or I can work around it. And uh, for some of you guys, uh, for some of you either younger or older guys that you have issues with your hearing, don't let that stop you, man. Um, you know, hunt with a partner. You know, I hunt yeah. with a partner. Yeah, I can vouch that, uh, you know, when our earlier days that uh, he'd hear bugles that I was like, really? <laughs> right. And then there are times where he says, okay, he's coming. I can hear him coming. And I go, Really? <laughs> but, you know, and once that uh, ability went away, you know, it hasn't slowed him down. You know, he, if anything, he's more uh, consistent now. Yeah. But before we move on to anything else, I want to throw another factor in. Because uh, you talked about the, the wind being a, a, an opportune time to get on him. Well, if there's a slight drizzle or rain. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, there's no hesitation there, is there? Because no, no. I feel, uh, you know, personally, I feel that whenever there's a, a drizzle, or a light rain that uh this the, the scent is grounded that's how i feel and maybe it isn't but uh no, no but i mean and, and those animals really start to react now in a downpour you, yeah, you might as well down. just <laughs> hunker down <laughs> just hunker down because ain't hunker nothing down, Joe. Yeah. that's right yeah. get your packs out you know get your yeah. parkas out and hunker down right the man that's another thing is when the guys you know, with all the new technology we have, the cool thing with Onyx, it, you know, it's got radar on it. You can see the rain and storms coming. Y'all be prudent with that stuff when you're out in the woods, man. Get get yeah. somewhere that's got some shelter. A lot of times we'll have big hail and a lot of lightning and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. So. Don't leave the rain suit at home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pack Especially it with if you. it looks pretty nice. No, but a lot of people <laughs> just stay in camp if they feel a, no, you you know, a drizzle or a rain. Yeah. And know. that lightning scares the crap out of me, oh, though, me man. Too, man. <laughs> I slept a many a night in a truck, <laughs> man. Now with it. I'll go and tangle with a bear, dude. But that lightning, it's like, oh. Well, it's out of this world, man. If you got a shot oh. against a bear, the lightning's going to fry you. You know, something that uh, that I wanted to talk about just a little bit more in our processing, too, is about terrain and cover. Because you guys got to think about this. The thicker the area that you're in when you have an animal respond, the more options you have. Uh, because if you're cow calling to a bull, 
And that's why I tell people not to throw their cow calls in front of them with any kind of tube or, you know, if you're just using your mouth or something, you can kind of cover your mouth and throw them off to the side or throw them behind you. Or if you're using, I use a flex tube, throw them behind you because you want that bull to think that you're 40 yards further back than what you are because they're great at pinpointing. So if you're in an area that's got that you know, where you can see through those pines for 120 yards, that's actually a, I mean, it's great for seeing elk, but it's not great for killing elk mm-hmm. because, you know, that's where the decoys come in. Right. And and we're going to talk more about decoys on another podcast, uh, but I can tell you, uh, if you're in that situation, you got two guys, a decoy is prime time because... Now they can see and they want to see a cow mm-hmm. because that cow says I'm in here. And that's where you hear about bulls so-called hanging up. And what that is is because they're like, why well, hear a cow and that cow should be right there. And I don't see a cow. So she better I've seen show him come up. a long way. I've seen yeah. him come a long way and cross obstacles to come mm-hmm. to a sure. decoy. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. It sure will. So you got to think about your terrain, man. Think about that. That's part of your processing too. Don't, you know, if you're in an open area, then what you have to do is you almost have to use that terrain, the dips in it so that you can be calling from an area that that bull can't see so that he has to come over a rise within 30 yards from where you're at so that you can actually get a shot when they should be able to see a cow. So think about that. So again, that's all of our processing. We hope that this has helped you. So in that beginning scenario, when you heard that, you heard a bull call, man, it should be right away. Which direction? How far? If I'm 400 yards out, I want to cut that distance to 150, 200 yards. That's where I want to start working from. And now if I'm going to do that, uh, how's my wind? You know, is that bull sounding off again? Do I know that direction or do I need to get him to call to me again? A lot of times I try not to call until I'm kind of in getting close in that, in that bubble range of 150 to 200. Now, when you hear me say bubble on an elk, when you are really within an elk's bubble (laughs) that something's going to happen, it's hundred yards in, Mm -hmm. you know? But when you're in that 200, 150, you can call that bull to you. you and so you got to be thinking about all of those mm-hmm. things, okay? Um, if you hear a bull 400 <clears throat> yards out and you just set up thinking you're going to call that animal to you, you know, or half mile out or something like mm-hmm. that, that, that's not going to happen, you know? So, um, Joe, that, that brings up a great question. Mm-hmm. So you talk about the bubble. When, when you start that bubble 100 yards in, uh, or would you say that you'd really get more aggressive the closer you got? Or, you know, or would you start that 300, 400 yards out? I mean, because a lot of these bulls sound off, you can hear them in there a half mile, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so when, when they're a half mile like that, I'm, I'm moving to them yeah. right away. I'm cutting that distance. I want to get within 200 yards. And That's the perfect. reason I talk about that – when I talk about that under 100-yard bubble, that bubble is what I'm talking about where I have sometimes e- either it's an aggressive bull or it's a herd bull with cows that doesn't want to leave. I, if I get within, under that 100 yards where I'm that close to his cows, now I'm in his space, his sure. bubble, sure. where something most likely is going to happen mm-hmm. if I can get him to react. He's going to, And it's going to happen fast when it happens. So... Uh, those are the things that we want to talk about for that. And 
Uh, hope that helps you with your process um, and how you think about things, some of the stuff that you're going to gather up and how you're going to make that move. Uh, I process that information within seconds sometimes. You know, you can ask Gilbert and Chav here. A lot of times I hear, and once I have that animal, uh, I'll look at them and we'll ask each other how far. That's right. And if they, if they tell me four, if they tell me far, which I consider to be a half mile, right. that's far. Mm -hmm. And if they're, man, I'm, I mean, I'm getting with the program. I'm jumping on it. If I'm a half mile away, I'm not worried that much about my wind right now. I start figuring the wind and start playing into it. If I have to circle or something like that within that half mile, but I'm cutting that distance right there. Why are you laughing at me, Gilbert, man? <laughs> I, see. I can tell you right now, you can hear him a mile away. If you tell Joe, you hear one, you better get your wheels on brother. Cause you go, it. <laughs> you can go up there. <laughs> Joe's like, yeah, put your wheels on. Let's go. Yeah, oh, you want to no. kill an elk, you got to go where the elk That's are, brother, right? right? Joe, if you yep. want to kill one, you got to go where he's at. <laughs> and, and and look, I've been, you know, 400 miles an hour with Joe on her hair on fire. And listen, that 400 miles an hour to him, it's barely moving. Uh, to me, it's 400 miles an hour, barely moving to him. But I'm telling you, we have, I mean, sprinted into the middle of them. And before you know it, there you're in that bubble. And I'm talking yeah. within 20, 30 yards of them, and, you know, then they shut up, and they don't say a word, and you're like, man, what is going on? I had that encounter with Joe and I, and we look at each other, and we're like, man, that bull sounded like he was right in front of us, and you know, we're right in front of some some brush or whatever, and Joe peeks out, and <laughs> Yep, he was right there. <laughs> I mean, look, you can get so enthralled in getting to them. But, again, being that aggressive just makes more opportunities. Yeah, I think, that's right. Um, I, I, like Joe good. said, right. we'll, blow, we'll blow up a lot to get a bunch of opportunities. And, and, look, guys, realistically, bow hunting, you may only get a hand – less than a handful of opportunity to, to make that deal happen. So right. the more opportunities you can get in the middle of the chance, chances of your success being better. You bet. Hey, bud. So I, I think we've covered that pretty much. So let's go to the Elk Bros mailbox um, you bet and you. Uh, hit some of those questions. And, and I'm going to tell you who's in our lineup just so that if we don't, if we don't get your question done today, uh, that means you're going to start out. We're, we're going to, to Matt. Um, first, uh, then Rich, uh, Charles from Broomfield, Colorado is in the house. Uh, Seth McPherson from Kentucky and Larry Gill from Oklahoma. Those are going to be the questions we are right now. And uh, we're going to start first with uh, Matt Feldposh from Michigan. Matt is 27. And we oh, talked about this Matt from last, last time. Week, Joe. Right? Yeah, that's yes, right. And, you uh, betcha. Matt shoots a longbow <clears throat> and uh, shoots a heavy arrow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and he, you know, he's talking about his FOC. We're not going to get into that right now, right. but uh, I can tell you, Matt, you're a man after our own heart shoot, shooting the longbow because you hear us talking about Carl Gamage all the time and him and RC were longbow shooters. And, and uh, they used to give me heck. Old Carl is always like, yeah, you shoot down nuclear bows. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> it only took five years of hunting with me, Joe, to turn them. Yeah, yeah, it didn't take too long, man. When we're bringing animals in, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're like, Dang, so gum. he's heading out to Utah this year with his longbow, and uh, 
and he wants to get he, he it doesn't matter to him and and last time we talked about the hope thing you know because in his question he said that you know did, yeah. he was yeah he was heading out in hopes of getting any type of elk and mm -hmm. and uh, we're not going to dwell on that too much right. but like like we said man we're going to turn that hope into an action and we're going to make sure that you're confident we want you matt when you walk into the woods anytime you walk into the woods with that bow in your hand you feel like you can kill something so that's where we want you to be and he's not real picky he's talking about he wants a cow a spike or a bull right so the first part, his, his first question that he had, though, was um, he's trying to work out the shoe thing, the shoe wear. He said, uh, I know Joe mentioned he wore tennis shoes for a while. For a while, <laughs> I wear them. <laughs> if the weather's good, I got tennis shoes on my feet. Sure. Uh, but I also hear a lot of guys talk about important ankle stability and boots. And that's the reason Chav wears boots is because he's got weak ankles. Um, Me too. I, I also... Uh, don't have any old running shoes to wear and I'm okay with buying a pair of hiking shoes boots that are a good budget shoe or boot do you guys have any suggestions now he's talking budget here mm -hmm. so um, I also plan on getting some of those waterproof socks you guys talk about and and you know those are always a plus because you know you get a lot of boots that people say are waterproof or you end up something happens to you know split something on the inside of or it step in a cactus. yeah or you step in a cactus get a, yeah. one of them hitchhikers run in your boot i mean mm -hmm. your gore-tex linings just shot, I'm, just right? understand guys if it don't say gore-tex on it it usually ain't real waterproof that right. or mt50 i mean that that stuff is real waterproof and uh yeah uh I, i've got some you know recommendations that that i would make on a boot uh and Shoot. you know any tennis shoe like Joe wears uh, with a with a good uh, waterproof socks, great. Because early in the morning, guys, you're gonna have a lot of dew, so mm -hmm. you want to have a pretty good set of gaiters to keep your socks from getting soaking wet. Most important thing in the world is keeping your feet dry. Uh, if you can keep your feet dry, man, you can go all day. But when you start getting your feet wet, you're gonna get blisters, and when you get blisters, no winnow. I mean, you, you shut down. Your feet can't take it. And I'm telling you, the terrain you're going to be in is not going to be conducive for everyday footwear, right? Um, I wear a really good sock, and uh, yeah. I pay now, good money for them. What, what boot were you going to recommend for Yeah, so I, I wear two – I have three different pairs of boots I wear because they Are get – Are any of them budget wet. boots? Absolutely, man. One okay. of them's a North Face pair of boots. They're a North Face pack boot. And it is very lightweight. It's an actual hiking boot that is Gore-Tex. It's brown. Okay. Uh, they're under $150. Okay, uh, cool. I, That's I, awesome right there. I'm going to tell you right now, the best $150 you'll ever spend. It's very lightweight, and they're the most comfortable pair that I wear. That and now the other one I wear is a Cabela's Mindle Hiker. And listen, it's a fantastic boot, but it's very expensive. It's 250, right. $250, $270. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's also one of the best boots I've ever worn, right? So I, I can I can tell you that I wear three different types of boots. One of them's a Cabela's brand boot. The other one's a North Face boot, right? And uh, they're, they're both fantastic. I don't have foot issues when I'm in the mountains. I learned my first year when I came with some big old heavy – uh, boots that I had, <laughs> man, you don't want that. I can tell you because no. you're dragging <laughs> no. them things around. And then 
and and I, I wear a pair of Pinnacle snake boots too. And when it's going to be, re- I know we're going to be in real high meadow grass. Uh, they're lightweight, about three pounds <clears> a piece. <throat> they cover my legs from getting wet. So yeah. they're a little bit heavier well, than my pack boots, but they're really good. Well, I've even I, I even wear gaiters with my tennis shoes. That's right. And the only object is is when I wear tennis shoes in a wet dew morning and I have waterproof socks on, I don't worry about my shoes getting wet. I just want to keep water from running down inside my socks so I, and getting the, my britches on the bottom, you know, so that they're making all kinds of noise and slopping around. So I, I'll even wear gaiters with my tennis shoes. And I can tell you, Max, for me, my feet were always wet. Uh, when I first started and I didn't have waterproof socks in the morning, you know, but, but we're in a little bit different situation. We're in New Mexico where we don't get a ton of wet all the time. And if my feet were wet and I was hiking, as soon as the sun came up, man, by noon, my feet would be dried out just from, you know, the warmth of my feet would end up evaporating that out. And I didn't get blisters because I'm wearing tennis shoes. I'm not wearing boots and they pretty much stayed conformed to, to my feet. And so it, it what now that was then because that's all I had. And now I wear tennis shoes. I have a pair of boots and, because uh, I, I need them for, you know, bad muddy stuff or snow. Uh, but if I can wear my running shoes, that's what I'd rather hunt in. Um, but as far as a, a budget shoe that was really a great shoe in our camp were the Merrells. Um, I, I got a pair sitting right here in front of me. I was going to say I got a pair of Merrell hiking boots that I wear. And they're awesome. Yeah. Fantastic yeah. boot. Hmm. Yeah, and I think you wear an Under Armour. Uh, yeah, a lower end Ridge uh, uh, Under Armour. They're extremely light, mm-hmm. but uh, and uh, as long as you have those good socks, you know. Yeah, right. I, I can't say enough about buying a good pair of socks, and I'm talking some of these socks cost you ten dollars a pair, but they make a huge difference wicking away the moisture away from your feet right. and providing a good little pillow <clears throat> for your foot to ride on, man. I, like I said, I bring three <laughs> pairs of hiking boots or, or uh, you know, boots to wear. I let, I wear one in the morning, one in the afternoon. That means one's always sitting drying out. And yeah. I, I keep doing that because man, my feet sweat bad. And uh, I, I, I will get blisters if I don't have, uh, good pairs of boots and socks. So his his next question is, uh, also, I'm a little worried about camp uh, with food and water. You know, did you guys do a podcast on that yet? I don't think we have on as far as food and water, but, you mm-hmm. know, I, I don't know. Um, but I would most likely be camping at or near the truck, and we are too, uh, but other uh, on other whitetail hunting trips I've gone on, heading to a nearby town was only – 15 or 20 minute drive and i'm guessing out west that might differ yes. well yeah and it and it kind of depends again where you're at i mean there's so many variables to that there's some places where you can you know you can be hunting up in cloudcroft and uh, uh on some of those back roads and you can jump in your vehicle and you can be down in cloudcroft in 20 30 minutes at, <laughs> at a restaurant but uh if you're doing that you know um it, it just depends on what you want to do as far as your camp goes, uh, you know, uh, if you're bringing, um, if you're bringing your truck, um, for a good, a good thing for me is a gallon and a half of water a day, right? Mm-hmm. For me, that's yeah. consumption, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to use it, whether it's brushing your teeth or, you know, using to drink, uh, right. I mean, you got to have water. So a gallon, however many days you, you, uh, you're going to be out there. I just budget a gallon and a half for each one. Yeah. Of and as a, for a, 
you know, by yourself, you have two five gallon jugs of, of water filled up, you know, you're, you're cooking with Crisco there. So, um, and you don't want to be driving into town to eat at lunchtime when some of your best hunting is happening in that midday sometimes. So if I were you, yeah, I mean, you don't have to be extravagant on your meals. Um, if you're somebody that wants to do a mountain house thing, that's easy. It's fast. Um, we like to make our meals ahead of time and we put them in Ziploc bags and freeze them into portions. And then we just throw them in the pot, heat them and we're eating. We're not doing a whole lot of prep with that. Uh, the other thing is, is, you know, carrying sandwiches with you or granola or different bars and things like that so that if you're going to be out all day, you can – look, if you feel hungry, eat something. That's right. Um, because your body's telling you you <laughs> need some nourishment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Food's yeah. a comfort out there, man. Yeah. So yeah. make sure you have some stuff on there. Uh, drink your water. Whenever you're thirsty, drink. Your body will tell you. But always make sure that you leave a little bit in that reserve just in case something happens, right? Okay. So um, his last question was, if I'm hunting early season, end of August, and really just want to come back with a, uh, uh, he said early August, and wants to come back with an elk, cow, or spike bull, are there any different strategies that you, you would suggest in covering in your bow hunting strategies podcast, any different calling strategies. And man, I tell you. I think we covered it earlier here in this podcast. If you have a cow call uh, and you have a location bugle, you can use those in varying lengths or varying intensities. And especially a spike bull, man. Spike bulls are some curious boogers and they're just looking for anybody to hang with. You know, uh, if you end up sounding like a big mature bull, you can bring a cow into you Mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, they're thinking that they're coming into a bull that's displaying or something like that. If you're just worried about getting an elk, just go out there and really work cow calls and location bugles, you know, locate those animals and, you know, you're not worried too much about bringing in a certain size. You know, you're, you're just wanting to, in early August, you're just wanting to do some things that you can calm, keep them calm. You got bulls are split. You got some cows are starting to get harrowed up a little bit, not mm-hmm. a whole lot. They're thinking about it. But, you know, at that time, there's bulls that you can actually use bull sounds better and bull mews to get some of them small bulls to come into you because they're still trying to be not so much bachelor groups, but they're still interested in working pecking order and being around other bulls. So, yeah. And like um, you said, those spikes just want to be around everybody. Yeah. You know, yeah. Call those, a jillion of them dudes. In, man. They good to eat discriminate. Going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And sound like a little herd as you're moving. Uh, yeah, you can pull in those small bulls and spike bulls that just want to be a part of that group. Okay. I've got some stories I could tell about that, that's for sure. <laughs> so we're going to go to Rich Strait from Lincoln, Nebraska. Hey, Rich, how are you, buddy? Um, he says that he's drawn his first elk permit, um, and he's going to be hunting in unit. Ha, ha, ha. Rich, I almost let you go, huh? No, man, we don't. <laughs> we keep that stuff quiet, Rich. So he's going to be hunting around on the October 19th rifle 
uh, here in New Mexico. It says that he actually got to spend a couple of days in June checking out two areas that had been suggested to him. He lives in Nebraska, and he won't be out until two days before the season. He said the two areas look real different. One area is more wide open and has a quite has more stock tanks, more water. The other area is close to wilderness and more rugged. Uh, he says he's not afraid of hiking in two or three miles, but he doesn't see as much water in that area. Any insight or good questions for him to consider would be appreciated. So, you know, uh, this year in New Mexico, you might want to check when you get down there, man, because in this year in New Mexico, we've had a lot of rain and a lot of water. So a lot of those areas that you thought there wasn't so much water in could be some really good spots. But at October 19th, bud, there's still bulls bugling that you can locate. So I would definitely be using high points with my eyes and my binos, and I would be calling from ridges as I work, yeah. uh, just so that I can, especially early morning. Mm -hmm. What part of the state is that? Um, we can't say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, north, north south. <laughs> I, I, he's down in Central. southern. He's down in southern New Mexico. Ooh, southern New Mexico. Okay, yeah. and um, it's actually you know in that area there there's a lot of elk in those. Um, in those areas that are more open, you know, there's elk there. Uh, you just have to kind of check, you know, because you take a is look hunting, at, do you know if he's hunting private or is he hunting public? No, it's though? public land. He's okay. hunting public land. Right. And that rugged area is right off of wilderness area right. in there. Right. So, uh, the only difference is, is, I mean, he's in there October 19th. They've already had one hunt on him. Mm -hmm. uh, so the big bulls have already split off. So if you're, if you're just trying to get any bull rich, then you can, you still listen for those bulls that are bugling, use those binos to locate, Cows. uh, those groups. And I guarantee you there's going to be a, uh, a lesser bull, a satellite bull that's going to be with them thinking he's the man right now. If, if you're trying to, if you're trying to find one of those big herd bulls, then I would be in that rugged country, finding those canyons that have got a little level place in there that, that's got great cover. It's got some feed right around it, and there's water within. Uh, man, it's not far at all from some kind of water source, okay? Uh, probably within 400 yards of yeah. some water source. They're going to yeah, be stoked too, man. I mean, those bulls down there are still going to be bugling a bunch. A bunch. Yeah, I would think I would think in uh, that area, getting up early, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, get up real early in the dark and yep. and uh, make your way because you know if they're not in the open areas, they've been there, right? Oh, and yeah. they're heading heading back up to the road. We'll be, be listening, you know, right? Early, do some yeah, of that location bugles at night. Yeah, I'll give you an idea of where their uh, bedding, mm -hmm. uh, their bedroom is well if he gets there a couple of days early over some of those water water holes that he's looking that have a lot you know some of them will have a lot of traffic if they do then you know he could easily put up a trail camera too there and well it's coming to yeah the um just don't burn a lot of time man get in there locate to see if there's track get at high points do some calling especially if you're gonna be there two days early mm -hmm. i would I would, uh, when you're looking at your topo map, you're, you're looking for those high points that you can get up, that you can see good areas from, and you can just be up there all day on that day. You don't see anything, 
boom, you're out of there and you're in the other country doing the same thing the next day. Sure. Uh, locate the elk and then hunt the elk. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I hope that helps you out, Rich, man. And I tell you what, you're, hunt, you're hunting in the 505, buddy. We hope you, you do well and make sure that you send us a picture of that bull that you killed this year, okay? Yeah, we're going to want to see it. Looking forward to seeing it. <laughs> Good luck, um, Rick. Good luck, so, Rich. The last question I want to deal with tonight before we get out of here is from Charles. He's from Broomfield, Colorado. And uh, Charles says, hello, fellas. I uh, had a couple of questions maybe you could answer. He says, I've seen a lot on the Internet on hunting sheds. As a new big game hunter, could you go into what this is and the benefits and the thoughts behind it? So uh, that's question number one. And, and Charles, man, shed hunting – in the West is a religion now. I mean, so what it is is basically the elk are going to drop their horns uh, and regrow, regrow new ones. And those horns are the shed horns that they lose, and they're going to lose them back uh, end of Anders. March, May. Oh, sorry. Doggone Lance, man. <laughs> well, I, mean, I didn't get a kick out. Look, uh, yeah, I guess he did. He didn't say anything on there. It was me. <laughs> sorry, Lance, man. <laughs> so, uh, it's guys. They're going to grow those antlers and they're going to drop them. And here. In the West, when you it's it's kind of like an expensive Easter egg hunt. You can get anywhere depending on the quality and time of year and what's happening with the sales. You're going to get anywhere between eleven to fourteen dollars a pound for an antler shed. So guys go out and and I tell you, there's guys that do that for a month, and there's some guys that make some very big money hunting sheds and. When you hunt those sheds, it kind of lets you know where those bulls went to and where they spent that time in their bachelor groups. And a lot of times, just like rutting areas, those shed areas are going to be in the same type of places. And, um, I mean, in some states, it's you're not allowed to go into an area until a certain time, and there's trucks lined up and people with watching elk with spotting scopes and just waiting for them to fall off and then it's an all-out race to try Golly. to get that horn you know or that antler <laughs> so, yeah so that's what that is and uh, the benefit of it is is you know some guys want it strictly as collections and some guys do it for economic reasons so sure. and some guys do it just to get out in the woods i can yep yep it's just a good time and you know, we have those expeditions. There's a lot of times we've hiked and we haven't found one, but it don't matter, man. It's a blast being out there. Yep. Um, his last question was, if I'm not listening through iTunes, what's the most beneficial <laughs> way? Uh, what's the most beneficial way to you guys for me to leave you reviews? Oh, okay. well, man, uh, that's awesome, bud. And it is a good question because – Basically, the reviews for podcasts is pretty much an Apple thing. You either have to go to Apple Podcasts uh, on your app on your phone, or you have to go on a computer, and you can download it both on a Mac or a PC and iTunes, and you have to go through to that. You have to look us up, Blue Collar Elk Honey, go in, and you can then rate and or review 
Okay, so um, right now Apple controls that. I know that I've heard that there's some places in some of the other uh, apps that you have to really look for to be able hmm. to rate. But I'm telling you, if you look up our, if you go to Apple Podcasts, if you have an iPhone, you can go to it. You scroll all the way down because it'll have episodes. You just keep scrolling down, scrolling down until you see uh, reviews and ratings. And then you can click on reviews there five to star. review it. And you can give us a five star, man. So that's, that's pretty much how you do that. And for all you guys out there listening, we would love to have your reviews. And please subscribe too. Uh, over on YouTube, we're, we're like 14 people away from being able to do live broadcasts on YouTube because we need a hundred, uh, in order to be able to do that. So, uh, go to our spots yeah, subscribe. and subscribe and yeah, send, send us some us, reviews, send us, some send reviews. us a letter, whatever. Send us a letter to our Elk Bros mailbox there at info at elkbros.com. And I, and I can tell you next week we're going to hit with Seth first. And just so you guys know, Seth McPherson out of Kentucky drew a Kentucky tag. Unbelievable. <laughs> and the guy after so, my own heart. What a deal. They haven't, it hadn't been long since they opened that season up down there for yeah, them to hunt those no. bulls too, man. Yeah, I told that dude, go buy a lottery ticket. He's oh. like, I just used up all my luck. I'm not going to do that. So. Oh, man, <laughs> what an awesome deal for Seth McPherson. Man, so Seth, get yourself ready, buddy. Let's let's close out for tonight, bud, and uh, let's get ready for next time. Guys, what a great show. Awesome to have Chav back in the fold. Welcome back from, from uh, vacation, Chav. From Joe and Chav in New Mexico, uh, I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of the show. You guys, wives, kiss your husbands, and husbands, kiss your wives. Hug your babies. Keep your broads head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Peace, peace, y'all. Peace. Peace.